Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 149 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and this podcast is a production of The Leadership Failings. To find out more about me and what I can do for you, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Now, another quick reminder, this is episode 149, so we've got this episode and one more as the Burden of Command podcast, and then, beginning with episode 151, the show will become the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Same uh, setup, same flow, same great guests, uh, just a subtle name change there for branding purposes. So when you start hearing this referred to as the Responsible Leadership Podcast, you're still in the right spot. Speaking of great guests, today uh, we have with us Mr. Tim Cosby. Tim is president and CEO of Real Retention, a training and consulting firm that works with leaders to help them retain their best talent and improve organizational culture. Tim's proven system, the Conversational Management Framework, helps transform management practices and organizational culture to achieve an engaged, productive workforce, boost profitability, and enjoy real retention. And I think those are things that all business owners are looking for right now uh, with everything that's going on in the workplace. So I believe you're going to take a lot of value out of this conversation. I know I had an outstanding time chatting with Tim about his beliefs and uh, what he can do to help organizations with retention issues. So with that, I'm going to get out of the way, let that stinger play, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Tim Cosby. Well, hello, Tim, and welcome to the Burden of Command podcast. Hey, thanks, Earl. Good, good to hear you. Yeah, no, I love uh, I love this. Full disclosure for listeners, we had a uh, uh, kind of a pre-decisional meeting a, a week or so ago, and uh, if that's any indication of the conversation we're about to have, uh, folks, you are in for a treat. Uh, and to get that treat started, Tim, when you hear the phrase "burden of command," what does that mean to you? Yeah, I've been thinking about that because uh, I've I've known about this for several months. Um, Here's a couple things that come to mind. First of all, I think that leadership can be a burden, and and I've been in leadership my whole life, and and it can be a burden. I think there are ways to lighten that burden, and I think that the uh, 
the kind of leadership style that I grew up under and was taught, kind of more of a top-down command expert-based kind of model, um, I, I think those models have to shift. And I think that people want a coach, not a boss. And I think that leaders can move to less command and more empowering. And that's, that's kind of what uh, our whole business is about. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, you know, and that comes up quite a bit on, on the show, the the kind of old school command and control. And, and uh, you know, a lot of folks are shocked when I say, you know, the, the dirty little secret, especially when it comes to military leadership, is command and control really doesn't work that well there either. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a time and a place for somebody to, to bark and order, but those are rare. It's it's the leaders that know how to inspire and, and know how to communicate effectively that are the leaders that you remember even in the military. And, and it, it's the same, as you just mentioned, it's the same in, in the private sector, right? Yep, exactly. So you, you made a distinction there about what a coach is. And I know that's really where uh, a lot of your passion lies is, is in coaching and getting people to really understand what a coach is and does. So, so do me a favor and, and, and kind of break that down for the audience. What is a coach? What is their purpose? Yeah, I was just talking with a, a CEO uh, this morning from a, a area company and um, he had looked at our program before and I just asked him, I said, so um, when you use the word coaching, how do you distinguish that from, say, mentoring? And he said, well, I'm probably not going to give you the right answer, but kind of here's what I'm thinking. And he really didn't have an answer <laughs> because he thought that they were both the same. And I said, well, most of the leaders that we meet, I, I think, would say the same thing. Um, when somebody asked me uh, what coaching is, I say it's helping people to change without telling them what to do. And that's, that's the really tricky part of it. That's the paradigm shifting part of coaching that I had to learn because I grew up under that, um, expert based kind of leadership model where I'm the expert. People come to me and I'm supposed to have the answers or I'm supposed to be able to fix their problem or solve their solution or, you know, get their solution. And, and coaching. Um, kind of turns that on its head and says, you also need to learn how to help people grow and develop by empowering them and not giving them answers, not solving their problems, but helping them to come up with their own solutions. So we look at coaching as more of a process and not so much the outcome, because the outcome of coaching could be the same thing as mentoring. But mentoring is is different than coaching. Mentoring is pouring in. Coaching is pulling out. Mm. Those are the, the easiest way for me to kind of visualize what I'm doing uh, and when I'm moving from a coaching kind of posture to more of a mentoring posture, because I think both are necessary. So that's, that's kind of a, a long answer to your question, but coaching actually was, uh, I think that terminology was first used in Hungary, at least according to the literature, in about 1585, somewhere around there. And it was used of a literal coach pulled by a horse, and it would meet a person where they were and take them where they wanted to go. 
Mm. So we say that's what coaching is. Coaching, you meet a person where they are, not where you think they should be, but where they are, and you help them get to where they want to go, but you don't tell them what to do. You don't tell them how to do it. You don't solve their problem. You help them take ownership and come up with their own solution. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me, and, and I really uh, believe that the listeners are going to, uh, to, to really love that because, you know, there's a quote I've, I've used on here many, many times before, and as you were talking, it kind of tied together what we were talking about before about military leadership and coaching because, you know, a lot of people who aren't deep into history would think that uh, General Patton was probably the most command and control person that they could probably think of. But he's very famous for a quote that says, don't tell people what to do, tell them what needs to be done and get out of their way and let them dazzle you with their brilliance. <laughs> and I think that's exactly what you're talking about here, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's good. And, I, and I've got another quote from a military kind of source that I want to bring up a little bit later. But another kind of metaphor that we use is people come to you with a knot. They're all tied up, some mm -hmm. sort of a knot. And one kind of leader takes the knot and unties it for them. I think a coaching-based leader or a leader using a coaching approach would help the person to untie the knot. Because, you know, what's going to happen the next time that person has a knot? If you keep untying the knot for them, they're just going to keep coming back to you. So I, I think that that's kind of what coaching brings to the table for leaders um, who may need to command from time to time, um, but they also need to develop people and they also need to know how to coach. I love that piece and you know this is kind of the way my brain works uh is, is on triggers somebody will say something and my brain gets flooded with all these other uh ideas but uh you know the the, the not piece have you ever uh read the book uh musashi no i haven't oh it, it's a great book it's a long book it's a it's a historical fiction it's about a famous japanese swordsman who you know, he actually lived, but the book kind of fills in some of the, the gaps. And uh, the name of the monk in the book is, is uh, I think it's Takawan. Um, I could be wrong. I know one of my listeners here has probably read it and is yelling at the answer right now. But there's this story. Uh, Musashi, like in his youth, was very hot-headed. And he got himself in a lot of trouble. And he had this kind of like almost Jiminy Cricket character that I want to say was named Takawan, who was a monk that would come into his life at certain points during the story. Anyways, long story short, uh, Musashi gets in trouble and he's tied up to a pole uh, outside of a village. And he, Takawan happens to come by and they have a very long exchange. But at the end of it, Musashi says, um, why don't you untie these knots for me? And Takawan's response is, I can't untie those knots for you because I'm not the one that tied them. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and I, you know, I, I've, I have four children and so they're all grown now. But, you know, you go through this kind of a process as a parent. At some point, this child has to be out on their own and make their own decisions, right? So I think that 
the coaching approach is really kind of a, it's kind of based on a parenting model. Um, when the child is really young, then yeah, you do a lot of stuff for them. But as they grow older, um, you teach them how to think for themselves and you ask them questions instead of always giving them answers, right? Well, and that's one thing I love, you know, because uh, as my listeners know, I try to do a lot of homework before a guest comes on. And so I've listened to quite a few of your other videos, uh, especially ones that are on YouTube. And you, you you really drive home that importance of asking good questions. And I agree with you. Um, and, you know, the listeners probably picked up in your pre-roll bio. Uh, a lot of your coaching practices is, is fairly heavily faith-based. And you use uh, parenting and, and religious uh, examples quite a bit. Uh, but but why, why is asking a question versus solving a, a problem that powerful? <laughs> well, I think because... Uh, Here's, here's an educational principle that we use in, in our training, that people will understand, value, and apply what you help them to discover, not what you tell them. So understanding something and placing a value on it, here's why I think that's important, and then applying it, here's how I intend to use it. That's the learning process right there. If you don't go through those three things, then you haven't learned anything. You've just kind of come into contact with some information. So I think that that whole discovery process is how people learn, and that's how people develop. And the best way to help people discover is to ask them questions. So coaching, you're right. I mean, coaching is, is just built uh, very solidly on this base that says, I'm going to spend more time asking good questions to help the other person discover where they are, where they'd like to go, and how they'd like to get there. Mm. No, and again, I love that. And it was such a revelation to, to hear you uh, talk about that d during the my homework sessions there because you know you brought up a great point about uh, you know and, and I'm a big fan I grew up Southern Baptist uh, but I'm a big fan of the Bible as as a leadership book even if you don't want to talk about the religious piece of it it's a great leadership book but it was something that you mentioned that I never really thought about uh, and I can't remember who you were on the interview with but you said if you if you read what Jesus says in the Bible, he's almost always asking a question. And I had to go back and, 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 you know, kind of do some reading myself. And, and you're right. Like there was a lot of, you know, we look at him as, as a great teacher of people, but as you put it, he really didn't, he really didn't teach as much as he asked questions to get people to find the answer themselves. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I would agree. The, the book that we wrote about 10 years ago uh, called Coaching Based Ministry uh, kind of really fleshes that all out. Um, but I think you're right. And Jesus was a, a rabbi. I mean, he was in the rabbinical model. And the rabbi uh, asked questions. That's what they did. And that's how their students learned. I think what really intrigued me with it, and I wrote a chapter in that book called Jesus Coached. I don't think Jesus was a coach. I think that he used a coaching approach, what I would call a coaching approach many times. And I went through uh, the Gospels 
and I just wrote down all the questions that Jesus asked. And of course, there are a lot of duplicates between the, the Gospels, but I've got about a hundred questions that Jesus asked. And that was a really great experience to walk through those questions to, to kind of observe the kinds of questions that Jesus asked. And when I got below that, I think what really intrigued me was this. If anybody could give perfect advice, Jesus could give perfect advice, right? So he's not going to, he's not going to steer you wrong. And if you say, Jesus, what should I do about this? He's going to give you an answer that's, that's a solid answer. So you're not, you're not going to be unhappy with that answer. But so why so many times, especially with his disciples, did he ask them questions instead of telling them the answer? Because he could have. And he chose not to so many times, and not just with his disciples, but, you know, I mean, he asked the blind man, uh, you know, Bartimaeus, uh, you know, what do you want me to do for you? Which seems like, why would you ask that question? I mean, the guy is blind, of course he wants to see. But for some reason, Jesus felt that asking that question was going to help this person process some things that he needed to process. And I don't know what those were, but, but Jesus asked those questions. And, and so you're right. Um, he just, he does this, uh, all, all throughout the gospels. And, and, uh, you can go to the Old Testament and find the same thing with, you know, when God created the heavens and the earth, um, you know, he, he asked a lot of questions when he created Adam and Eve. And one of the first questions he asked him was, Adam, where are you? Yeah. Which I've always thought was a really, really great question because I think Adam needed to understand where he really was now that he had made this decision. So I think all throughout Scripture, you you can find the, the power of using good questions. Yeah, well, and, and you hit on something that's very key there, too, especially for, for coaches who aren't Jesus Christ level, which is all of us, right? Um, <laughs> um, it's that ability to hold back from giving the answer because and asking the question. Uh-huh. You know, because I think it's easy for us, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you've been here, uh, maybe it's just me, but it's easy as us being the person that somebody else is coming to, asking the questions to think, we have a great grasp on what the problem is and that we have the perfect answer. So we're just going to give it to them when in all honesty, we have to have that humility to sit back and think, well, maybe we've misread something. Maybe we don't have the perfect answer for this situation. So asking clarifying questions is the way to go, right? Yeah, I think so. You're, you're exactly right. And you know how it feels for you when someone comes up to you and especially when they give you unsolicited advice, (laughs) you know how you feel inside. Like you have no idea of my situation and you don't know how to solve my problem. But even when people come to you and say, Earl, I'm facing this situation. What do you think I should do? If you immediately go to an answer mode, then you don't really understand the problem yet. So how could you give an answer if you don't really even fully understand it. So, so I think you're right. I think that that's what, that's the paradigm shift that I think a lot of leaders just need to go through because they're so used to giving people answers when they come to them. Can I tell you a real short story about that? 
You can tell me all the stories you want. Okay. Um, <laughs> we were doing a, uh, a training for one of our, our premier program is called conversational management. Okay. But we were doing a training in a, a company here in, in West Michigan. I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, the company had about 8,000 employees and it was a transportation company. They had about, uh, 53 terminals uh, throughout the United States, and they were experiencing a 60% turnover rate among their terminal managers. So stop and think about that for a second, like what kind of problems that would create. It was costing them about $10 million a year. Mm. So I met with them. I met with the president and the 10 VPs of the company and, um, and suggested that, um, that, they let me take them through what we called a test drive. And that was basically a portion of our training program where they could not only see how we do things, how we train, um, but what we train and, and the, the, uh, kind of the paradigm shift, the change that takes place within the leader. So we did that at the end of the training, their senior vice president, um, we were standing in a circle and I, and I basically asked the question, so what do you guys know now that you didn't know, you know, when we started this training and the, uh, this, the senior VP, I'll never, I'll never forget this moment. He said, Tim, if you look around the room here, um, all of us as VPs have, have risen to this level because we have good people skills. We're experts at what we do and we produce results. But I realized today that whenever anyone comes to me with a question or a problem, I immediately go into problem-solving mode. And he said, I never realized that until today. And I said, well, that's a really interesting insight. So what kinds of things are you gleaning from that? What do you think that that's going to lead to for you? And he said, well, I think one of the first things I'm going to do is that whenever anyone comes to me with a question or a problem, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take a deep breath and count to three. <laughs> and then I'm going to ask them a question about, you know, tell me more about that. What, what have you tried? What has worked in the past? What hasn't worked? Um, and, and what would you do if, if you had the power to change this whole thing, what would that look like if you were to do it? So he said, I see now that if I start developing that kind of response, it's going to help me grow the leaders that are in our organization and they're going to be more engaged. And if they're more engaged, then they're going to stay longer and we're going to have better retention and, you know, uh, less turnover. So that that's just an illustration of what you just said, because I think most leaders have to experience that paradigm shift. Yeah. Well, no, and that's a good segue there because you mentioned the word retention and I mentioned in the pre-roll bio, uh, your CEO of real retention. And, and that's really kind of the driving force behind of, of most of what you do is, is coaching to help businesses, uh, with retention issues, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, why? when we, well, I'll, I'll let you finish asking your question there. Sorry. Oh, no, no, you're fine. I was, I was going to ask, uh, you know, so why, um, why does this type of conversational leadership, this type of coaching, why and how does that help reduce turnover? 
Yeah, that is a great question. And that's how we started out. We actually started out 11 years ago as a coaching training company. So I'm a professional coach. My co-founder is a professional coach. And we actually designed, we train professional coaches. So that's, that's kind of where we came out of. And the reason we came out of that is because we had people that were coming to our training workshops and they were CEOs or CFOs or some C-suite level. And they go through our training and they would say, wow, I wish I'd have known this 30 years ago when I started my job, but could you come to our company and train our managers how to coach? because this is the way managers need to be interacting with our employees. So we, we, we did, and we developed our, our program called Conversational Management. And here's how we got to that, and this is kind of the specific answer to your question. Um, we were looking at the cause of turnover. What is the cause of voluntary turnover? And what our research revealed was that disengagement is the cause of voluntary turnover. Now, disengagement is the cause for a lot of things, but the voluntary turnover piece was a lot of companies were coming to us because they had such high turnover. So we said, okay, so if disengagement is the root cause of this voluntary turnover problem, what is the root cause of disengagement? And what we discovered after quite a bit of research, was the fact that there were two things that lead to disengagement. One was management practices, and the other was organizational culture. And you can't really separate those two, because the way managers manage is going to kind of create your culture. The way that leaders lead is going to create your culture. Um, but so when we found that out, we just said, okay, so... Um, if people are leaving a company, it's because they're disengaged. And if they're disengaged, it's because of the culture that's being created by managers who are not using the kind of management practices that lead to engagement. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to figure that equation out, but that's what we, that's kind of what we decided. So. Our whole program is based on the fact that, and, and Gallup says that 70% of the, the variance in engagement in, a, in an organization is due to the manager. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a company full of disengaged employees, really high uh, disengagement and high turnover, um, then you need to look to your managers because that's where the rubber meets the road. So we said, let's design a program that would equip managers with the skills to coach people and help to empower them, take ownership, get them more engaged, more creative, uh, more innovative. And when we do that, then, then turnover has to, has to go down. Because it's all tied together. And if you deal with root causes, then that's how you get to a solution. So that's a really long answer to your question, but it's a really, really good question because I think a lot of organizations are treating the symptom, not the root cause. Yeah, no, I, I love that answer. And, and uh, you know, again, as you were talking there, it reminded me, you know, many, 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 many moons ago, I was, I was in the Marines back in the late 90s. And um, 
one of the things that that we were required to do, and, and I think you'll love this, is as part of our our growth and development as Marines into leaders of Marines was we had uh, we were required so many hours a month of uh, there were two there was uh, we called them PMIs periods of mandatory instruction and then PMDs periods of mandatory discussion right and everybody was challenged to to come up with some piece uh, that meant something to them whatever it was. And you would have a group discussion around it with with your team, and and the idea was a lot of what you're getting at here was it was through those discussions, through those conversations, through that kind of just the team building piece of it that everybody grew a little bit closer together, and it's a lot harder to leave an organization when you're friends with everybody in that organization, right? Sure, exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's that's not rocket science, right? <laughs> Even the Marines think, figured it out, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would think that leaders would would kind of figure that out, but we need a lot of a lot of companies that have leaders that just haven't taken the time to figure that out yet. Well, with it being such a obvious thing, why do you feel most organizations kind of struggle with it? Man, what a great question, Earl. Um, I think if I really knew the answer to that question, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> um, because I, I think there are various reasons. Um, one of the reasons that we found is that companies that are making a lot of money, they're not going to take the time to do this <laughs> because they're not in pain enough. Right. And I think you have to experience a certain level of pain before you start looking for a solution to something. And so I, I think a lot of companies are right now just kind of too successful to, to even stop and think about this kind of a thing. Um, the problem is, is if they don't start equipping next generation leaders through this kind of process, then in 10 years, they're not going to be around. So I think they, they, they got to wake up and smell the coffee at some point. I think the other reason, and we find this in various kinds of organizations, but I think you get um, key leaders, leaders at the top that really enjoy being the expert, being the answer person, man or woman, doesn't, doesn't really matter. They like being in charge. They actually like being the boss. And um, they don't really want to change. Mm. Now, if you interview the people who work for them, uh, those people will say, well, yeah, they're paying me pretty well, but they don't really ask for my opinion. I don't really feel like I'm needed. I don't feel like I'm valued. Um, nobody listens to me, really. Um, I'm here kind of for the paycheck. Um, so I think you've got leaders maybe in both of those kinds of situations that are either too successful or leaders that, you know, they've risen to where they are, they think, because of their current leadership style, which is I'm in command and just do what I do. And that could be. Um, but I think for companies that want to kind of transition into the future, because change is changing, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, then I think they're going to have to they're going to have to make that shift. Yeah, no, I, I like that because my you know my initial thoughts on it was was the word ego, um, and, and I think that that's kind of what you're talking about there that plays in quite a bit because I can definitely see that is 
is, you know, hey, I'm here because I run into it with leaders myself uh, all the time is that they feel like what you said, that because they're the leader, they have to know everything. They have to be everything. And anything less than that is a sign of weakness when, you know, in reality, your team knows that you're human. Your team knows that you have flaws and it's actually kind of a, a credibility builder to say, you know what? I don't know. How would you solve this problem? Mm. Yeah. And people love that, right? Yeah, but it makes you feel weak, right? Because sure. you're supposed to know the answer to that. <laughs> At yeah. least that's the old kind of leadership model that we were taught, isn't it? Well, right. Yeah. And again, it's, you know, going back... That's what we were taught, but we were taught a lot of flawed stuff growing up, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be yeah, honest. We were. Uh, but yeah, and, and, and I like what you said there too about, you know, because, you know, mentioned the word retention, but it's not even just about retention uh, as much as it is succession planning. And, and by going through these exercises and asking those questions and getting these folks to to be able to mentally put themselves in your seat for a little bit, you're getting them ready to be in that seat at some point in the future, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and the research is is showing this pretty kind of loud and clear right now um, that you ask, um, you know, what what keeps CEOs awake at night? And the answer, 55% of them say that, Equipping and training, developing next generation leaders, that's what's keeping them awake. Tra putting that, you know, those leaders in the pipeline, uh, succession planning, call, call it what you want. But things have changed in the workplace and there are more younger generations now in the workplace and they view things differently. They look at work differently. They want a coach, not a boss. And, and so I think when, when companies start using a different approach to their leadership and, and adding a coaching approach, it's not that they would never tell somebody what to do. It's just that there are many times when you need to ask and listen. So when companies add that to their leadership structure, that's how the next generation leaders want to be uh, developed. And that's your succession planning right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, like we keep saying is, is it's not, this is not that you can never take command and control. This is not that you can never, um, you know, one of our leadership traits uh, for the Marines was tact. And, and the best way we describe tact was saying what needs to be said, how it needs to be said, when it needs to be said. Uh, because a lot of people hear tact and they think it's got to be fluffy and flowery and all that. Well, no, sometimes tact dictates that you take a more direct approach. Right. It's knowing when and how, and that, that's the key element here, right? Yeah, and I, I tell people in, in our trainings, um, because managers always ask this question. It's like, well, so when do I use coaching? <laughs> and our response to that is we just say always start with coaching. In other yeah. words, always start with listening, always start with asking, and then move to where you need to move depending on what that person needs in that moment, right? right. Um, so, I, you know, we, we call it a full-spectrum leader, and that's just a term that, that I came up with a few years ago because it, it helps me to understand that this is under the umbrella of leadership. 
Mm-hmm. And at one end, you would have directive, more directive kind of leadership, which is needed. The other end, you've got very highly supportive. And that's where coaching takes place. That's how you empower people. That's how you get people engaged. That's how you get them to be creative and innovative and take ownership. Um, and, and that's what I'm finding that most, a lot of organizations have, have a good organization and a good culture, but their leaders only know how to kind of work on one side of that spectrum. And all they know how to do is be directive. And yeah, maybe they give good directions, good for them, but nobody, you know, nobody, nobody bats a thousand. Um, so learning how to lead on the other side of that spectrum, which is what you just described there. Um, I think that's, that's the key to being a full spectrum leader so that you can lead no matter what is needed in the moment. You know how to do that. Mm. And to be clear for listeners, right, when we're talking about this, we're not just talking about, you know, coaching Johnny to be a better accountant or Susie to be a better research scientist. We're talking about coaching people holistically, right? Yes, better at your job, but also to be better people, better co-workers, better leaders themselves, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, we say coach the person, not the problem. Right. Because it's it's easier to coach the problem and solve it than it is to actually coach the person and ask questions to help them develop as a leader. Yeah. And, and it's so critical. Um, are you a football fan by chance? Well, you know, I'm here in Michigan, so we have the Lions. So I don't know if that might answer your question, but they're kind of the cardiac kids, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. So I can identify. I grew up uh, being a fan of what is now called the Washington football team. So I remember a, a couple of glory years there, but for the most part, it's been heartbreak and misery as well. Um, <laughs> the reason I ask is, right, and I've shared this uh, story on the podcast a couple times before, but you, you remember uh, Coach Bill Parcells? Yeah. Okay. Uh, when he got inducted in the Hall of Fame, I don't know if you caught this or not. Uh, there was a reporter that asked him, you know, hey, coach, everybody here is talking about all of all of your successes. I want to take a different approach. What was one of your biggest failures as a coach? Wow. And he said, without skipping a beat, he said, Lawrence Taylor. And the person looked at him and goes, wait a minute. He was all pro linebacker, very revered. He's in the Hall of Fame himself. How was he one of your biggest failures? And he said, what I didn't understand about coaching at the time, I was too focused on making him a better football player and not focused enough on making him a better man. Wow. And I thought that was super powerful to hear that coming from a guy like Bill Parcells, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we often use this to kind of distinguish between uh, a coaching approach and kind of everything else. Um, but, you know, mentoring, as I said earlier, is, is often confused. And when you think of, of pouring in to a person instead of pulling out, that really does help you understand this clear differentiation between these two models. And as you've said, that's how you actually develop people. Mm. So you've been doing this for a few years. I'm assuming you've had some pretty good success with this, right? Well, um, 
I, I think so. I mean, I, I might be the, the wrong person to ask there. You should talk to some of our clients, I guess. But, um, you know, we, we first started out training professional coaches. So we, we've trained and certified, I don't know, close to a hundred, hundred coaches. Um, but then we kind of moved into this conversational management realm and going into companies and organizations and training managers and, and leaders and really helping them to change their culture. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we have had some pretty good success. One of the, the earliest, uh, success stories that we had relates to the story that I told earlier about the VP after he went through our test drive, he said, you know, I realized that I, I just, you know, answer people and give them the answer and tell them what to do kind of a thing. Well, that company had uh 62% turnover with their terminal managers, over a period of about a year, we equipped uh, about 150 managers, senior leaders, uh, next generation leaders, and within about 12 months, their turnover in, for terminal managers had gone to 19%, mm. saving them a, about $3 million. That, yeah. I think that was, that was pretty significant. Now, I'm not going to say that we were the only thing that contributed to that, but we were there during that time. And, and we were training their, their key leaders. So I, I think that that did have some impact on it. Um, yeah, we've, we've worked at a, uh, a local college here actually, uh, contracted us and they wanted us, the, the president wanted an empowering culture. He said, I want that to set us apart from other colleges and universities that we know how to empower students. And he said, I think that this is, this is how you do that. So we started what they called their Center for Empowerment Coaching mm-hmm. on their campus. We were there with them for almost four years. Um, when we first got there, their freshman retention rate was like about 60%. And mm. when we left approximately four years later, it was 80%. And during that time, we had, we had trained and equipped, uh, about 200 people on that campus, faculty, students, staff. And, and I think that that's one of the things what we were doing there is one of the things that contributed to that in increased freshman retention rate, which every college kind of lives and dies by. So that that's a couple stories. Um, we uh, we're working with a company right now. It's about 430 employees. Uh, we've trained about a hundred managers thus far over the last ten months, almost a year. And uh, they they told us, and you can go on our website to to see this video. But they told us that the return on investment has been ten times what they invested. Mm. So. That's a pretty decent ROI, I think. Yeah. Um, we are working with a uh, semiconductor uh, plant up in northern Michigan. Um, we started training their engineers and managers uh, in 2018. And uh, they told us that our efforts have made such a difference in their culture that not only do they think that it saved them $50 million, Hmm. but um, that that this kind of leadership model is now a permanent part of their leadership development track. So every new leader that comes in, every new manager, they just put them through our program. 
and it's about a year-long program. And they just said, this this is so effective that we've just made it a permanent part of our leadership development. I love it. Well, yeah, and that was, you know, uh, great stories. I love it. And, and hopefully, listeners, you, you heard all of that. And, and this is why this stuff is, is so important. And especially that last piece, because, you know, my follow-up uh, was going to be, still is, is, you know, have you kept in contact with any of these folks to, to see like what kind of impact this has had as, as people kind of spread out and do they kind of carry these, these forward? Cause what I see you doing here is, is kind of really being uh, just, just being a game changer period, because I can, I can absolutely see people going through a program like this, changing how they feel about leadership. And, and even if they can't necessarily move up in the organization that they're in, which is fine. Sometimes the best step for you and the organization is to move on to a different organization. But I can see people wanting to take these these ideas and, and basically uh, replicate what they've learned from you. And that's how you make a huge impact on the world, right, is, is people propagate it out. Yeah, I, I agree. And thank you for the question. That is, that is a good question. And yes, we do. We stay with our clients. We're not kind of a one and done kind of company. Um, and, and a lot of the companies that we've uh, worked with are here in this area. So I know a lot of the owners actually. So, uh, it's like I can't, I can't really escape. Um, but yeah, we have a, our program is set up so that there's intense follow up. And some of our clients have said that they thought that's why they hired us, because they thought that's what set us apart from everybody else out there that was doing anything like what we were doing. Um, so we have an initial training that we put managers through. It's nine 90-minute modules online, can be custom designed in terms of delivery. Um, but it takes about a month to kind of get through the core content and teach the, the core skills. But then we have an online support platform, so virtual platform, um, where they can access it uh kind of 24/7 but they can they can go through what we call coaching practicums so that's where you would go with a group of other managers that have been through the same training and you would coach them and they would be coached and they would observe coaching and so over a period of time usually we say about a minimum of 6 weeks of practicing like this with one of our mentor coaches kind of observing um that's where leaders really learn how to implement and apply so because of that methodology people retain this I mean, managers retain this. So people that we trained five years ago, I talked to one just last week and she said, uh, she's now in a place of leadership. Um, but she says, I, I use coaching every day. This has been a life changer for me. Mm. So yes, we do have companies that we stay with for long periods of time. Um, and that's, I think, because they're their leaders at the top of the organization embraced this from day one. In fact, we don't even go to a company where the leadership team doesn't want to embrace this because it won't work. So we start with the CEO. uh, We start with the owners or whatever. And if they embrace this, then it's, it's going to go, it's going to last a long time. Yeah, no, I love that. And folks that right there is how uh, you know, 
that you're working with a good coach, a good organization is if they, they care enough to stay connected because you can't do this work effectively if you don't care about the people that you're working with. I mean, I yeah. would almost guarantee, and you just said it, that that you have left a little piece of yourself with every person you've worked with over that time frame, <laughs> right? Uh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, well, on that note, um, you know, we've been chatting here for about 45 minutes here or so, and, and, and Tim, this is just, time has flown by. This has been an excellent conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that you want to leave listeners with? Um, you know, I think what we're finding right now is that, uh, especially as companies are coming back to the office or at least developing some sort of hybrid model now of, of what it's like to work together. Um, I think leaders are really grappling with this whole issue of how do we develop next generation leaders and the old model that a lot of companies used, which was, you know, we have an L&D department or a talent development department, and we've got three or four leaders in there, and they do one-hour leadership workshops or whatever. Um, I don't think that that model is going to work as we're moving into the future because things are changing too quickly. <laughs> Industry is moving so fast. Uh, and companies that are growing have to develop leaders quickly. Mm-hmm. So we, we just said, well, what if we distribute that development model across the organization? So instead of just two or three people kind of being in charge of leadership development, now you've got a hundred managers and they're all using the same approach and they're developing leaders in every conversation that they have. It's like that makes a lot more sense to have this 24-7 kind of always-on talent development model. And I think that's what we bring to the table because our process is, we call it an operating system. In other words, it's not a new program. I don't care what programs you have. Keep your programs. This operating system is going to make everything work better. Mm. No, I love that. Again, it's amazing. And this is one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast and and getting to, to chat with great people like yourself and all the other guests I've had is seeing that crossover because what it's really taught me is great leadership is great leadership is great leadership. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you're doing because what you just described again is really at the core of, of, I can't speak for the other branches. I'm sure they do a lot of the same stuff, but it's at the core of Marine Corps leadership. It's, it's yes, during boot camp, there's a certain few people who are like laying the foundation, if you will. But once you get out of that very specifically designed environment to do what it does, it goes to kind of what you were just saying there. Everybody is responsible for everybody else. Everybody's responsible for helping each other grow and become better leaders. Uh, and it's a responsibility that really separates out everybody. Like if you take it serious and you look out for your folks and you help them become better leaders, you never know, you know, different opportunities develop at different rates for different people. That person who you're in charge of today, billet wise, may be in charge of you five or 10 years down the road and you want them to lead you in a happy, healthy, uh, productive manner. And, and yeah. that's a lot of what I heard here is, is 
taking it's taking care of one another. I guess is the put the the fine point on the pencil. It's taking care of one another, right? Yeah, yeah, and and I I appreciate that this is happening even in military, and I, I'm glad that you started with that illustration. Um, I think that's a great illustration, and maybe your listeners are aware of this book, uh, but it's called "Turn the Ship Around." Mm-hmm by David Marquette, and he was a a captain in the Navy, sorry, not Marines, but he was a captain in the Navy of the Santa Fe, which is a nuclear submarine. And he actually changed the leadership model to more of this coaching approach model, and it's called Turn the Ship Around. And it's it's an awesome read. And I think any of your, uh, your listeners that are coming out of the military would really appreciate this because, like you said at the beginning, you wouldn't think that in the military that, you know, I mean, we like command and control because we got to, you know, we're fighting a war and we have to win. Um, but this book kind of gives the, the other side of, of the picture and it shows how he moved from this follower leader model or leader follower model to more of a leader leader model. Yep. And he pushed leadership down to the level of those that were actually executing the tasks and, and actually developed them as leaders. So that's a, that's a great book. And I meant to mention that earlier. Yeah, no, I love it. My, uh, uh, one of my cousins, uh, went through, uh, he's a fire control tech. I don't remember exactly what he's doing, where he's at now, but when he graduated Navy boot camp, I, I sent him a signed copy of that book and said, here, this is your manual going forward. Uh, so I love the shout out there. Um, speaking of shout outs and how to find out more information, uh, I'm convinced listeners, uh, that you, want to find out more about Tim, what he can do, uh, what his organization does, and how they can help you and your organization out. So, Tim, what is a good way for people to reach out uh, to you and find out more? Well, we're actually in the midst of rebranding. So, okay. uh, and this is kind of changing in, in real time here. Um, and I would encourage them to go to our, our new website, which is culture-impact.com. culture dash impact.com and and you can see all of our programs we have educational programs we have coaching certification programs conversational management um, and you you can you know reach out to us there you can get case studies uh, find resources connect with me um, that's probably the best place to send somebody right now I love it. And uh, listeners, you know that that stuff's going to be in the show notes. You can just click and go straight there and uh, find out more. Uh, Tim, brother, again, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate the conversation we had, and I love everything you're doing. Just just keep it up. That's great. Thank you, Earl. It was a a pleasure, and I enjoyed meeting you last week and then the conversation today. And uh, maybe I can come back sometime. Love Love to do that. Really enjoyed this today. Oh, I, hey, you have uh, an open invitation. You just let me know when works for you, and uh, and we'll work on, on getting you back on the show. I loved it. That's uh, awesome. Thank yeah. you. No, oh, I love it. Listeners, thank you uh, for being with us this, uh, this whole time and listening to this great conversation. Again, I know you got a lot out of it. Go hit the link. Uh, take uh, a look at all the stuff that, that Tim has to offer. Find out more about him. Um and just, you know, take this stuff to heart. This stuff means something to the people that you're leading. Um, I really appreciate you all being here. 
and given me feedback. So make sure if you have any more, burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Love you all. Appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us. And I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.